Baseline has the latest on the road disc controversy. Fatty nominates a safe word for cycling, and we talk to the inventor of a retro-looking GPS computer. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, fresh off an FTP test and ready to roll. Fatty of FatCyclist.com and the king of trainer throwdowns is here. Fatty, I recently did an FTP test. Now, I did the two eight-minute test. Uh Which one do you use? Do you use the eight-minute or the 20-minute test? I do the 20-minute test, and I have one coming up this week. And is it weird that I'm like more afraid of that than I am of like any race that I've done recently. Yeah, because you're, first of all, it's hard. Second of all, oh, you're, yeah. you want to see improvement, right? That's I do. the point of the test. I do. Right. Yeah. So, so I did I, the, I did the eight minute test and pretty much came out how I thought I would, but how'd you do? Uh, was, did did, did I, you get an improvement? Well, no, it was my first one to kick oh, off okay. actually some Leadville training. So this is your baseline. So this is my baseline. Don't be coy. Tell us what your number is. I, well, what did I average? I averaged about 310, 310 wow. watts. Holy yeah. cow. That's great. Yeah. You that's for an eight minute test. Well, that's an eight minute test. You're, you're supposed to be just, you know, barely into the anaerobic zone. So they do the, eight. so they do the, inter- so when it interpolates, what is it saying that your FTP is? Well, you take off 10%. Mm-hmm. So, and that, and that's do, so on. do the math for me, man. I don't have a calculator here. I'm 280 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, cool. Uh, RedKitePair.com, the home of the pace line, the place where this podcast is posted, but only after approval by Patrick Brady. Patrick, hello. Howdy. Uh, I'd say you're the last word on the podcast, not me. Oh, that's... <laughs> no, no, no. You're the publisher of the site, and you, you give final approval. Patrick picks the pictures, by the way. So on the last episode, we had a picture of a, a bowl of cereal. That was our publisher... <laughs> Picking that shot. See, you have the last word. All right, guys, we have uh, plenty more to cover on disc brakes. Last show, we talked about the UCI's reversal on the use of disc brakes in the Pro Peloton after a rider from Movistar claimed he was cut by a rotor during Paris-Roubaix. Patrick, your post called the debacle really caught my eye, uh, mainly because of the title, but your readers had a strong response to it, too. Here's what I caught in the post regarding Francisco Ventoso's injury. You wrote, without the benefit of seeing blood on a component, we don't really know what caused the injury. The injury, you wrote, allowed for a rush to judgment against discs. I don't think there are many people outside of Osaka, Chicago, or Veneto who really wanted the truth. Osaka, Chicago, and Veneto, of course, being the home cities of Shimano, Shram, and Campy, the three companies probably hurt most by the UCI's reversal. Patrick, why would cycling's leadership put discs into play and then not have the guts to back them up. Uh, well, I'm going to go with it was uh, poorly thought out. Uh, you know, they just they didn't really think through how this was going to go, um, and why they didn't bother to think it through. I, I just I don't I don't get how any of this has been done. Um, you know, and it may be uh, that you know a disc did cause his injury. The problem here is that there's just been no sort of investigation to find out. You know what has really taken place. Uh, riders are known to be notoriously uh, superstitious and uh, not particularly scientific either. And so this, you know, uh, there was just this assumption. You know, it's like we're having a witch burning. 
Yeah. Is the debacle the lack of leadership then? Oh, yeah. Or the lack of investigation? Well, the lack of leadership that leads to a lack of investigation, you know? I, I mean, you, you know, you're, you're, letting, uh, you're letting the least powerful members of this uh, entire uh, assemblage of, of competing interests uh, dictate the outcome. Um, you know, I mean, Im- imagine a team sponsored by Trexus. Well, actually, we like the way that Tarmac handles better, so we're going to write it instead. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of silly. I mean, the writers mm-hmm. deserve, uh, you know, the best efforts on the part of the UCI uh, to guide the sport and to pr- protect their interests. Um, but this has just gone in a really silly fashion. Mm-hmm. Well, we started to hear from the manufacturers, too. They had pretty strong reactions, of course, because they have a vested interest in, in this. Uh, most of the reaction actually came from bike manufacturers who are trying to outfit bikes with road disc now. Giant, for instance. Um, and this and I, I, I do I should give credit where credit is due. Neil Rogers, who Fatty's interviewed on the Fattycast before, uh, did a lot of the research here and talked a lot of the, the manufacturers regarding uh, the UCI's reversal. So he had some nice quotes in one of his articles recently. Giant said, of all our product development um, with Road Disc is, is with Road Disc in mind. That's all their current product. So with this development, the UCI's reversal, we need to have an emergency meeting very quickly to discuss if we're going to continue pursuing, pursuing that is Road Disc. From specialized, if this move by UCI is permanent, it's going to make us have to consider pretty significant changes. For 2018, the date to make those changes has already passed to some degree. They could scramble, Specialized said they could, uh, but ultimately, they're working quickly within the industry, that is, to see if they can get some sort of resolution on the UCI's ruling. Focus Bikes said the reversal by the UCI will not affect road disc production run plans for 2017 and for 2018. So they're going to go forward with their road disc. Sounds like uh, probably the right thing to do, right, Patrick? I mean, go ahead and get those products out there. There's no sense now in trying to scramble. It would be an an enormous amount of cost for these companies to try and change the plans they've already made. You know, I can't see why, given... You know, given what we've already seen in terms of production and availability to consumers, I don't see why uh, this would change anything for a manufacturer other than uh, production numbers. You know, they they still need all the molds. Um, You know, what what will really change is maybe some of the balance of uh, caliper brake models versus disc brake models, uh, because pro racing will drive some of that interest. Uh, once people see all the pros on disc brakes, uh, and this is a theoretical world that does not seem to be coming to pass, but <laughs> uh, if that were the case, then yeah, that would drive some interest and that would drive some sales. Uh, without those sales numbers, you know, I can see that they would need to uh, change some of uh, what their production orders would be. Um, but the you know the only thing that might be sort of inconvenient. Uh, as if uh, on their very top end models, some of the companies weren't producing a caliper brake version. So, you know, imagine a world where uh, the S Works Tarmac isn't available in a uh, in a uh, caliper version at all. Um, mm-hmm. Redoing uh, the layup on one of those using one of the other molds uh, for the pros. You know, that's not that big a deal. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a run of what a hundred or so uh, frames for those guys. Uh, per team, you know, that's right. that's not a big deal. Um, well, to that point, that the bike manufacturers did ring in on about, you know, the use of bikes in the pro peloton and what, what the pros are using 
and what the consumers get. Scott Bike says you can always justify having a pro road team from a brand statement perspective or brand positioning. The USI and its tech decisions are grossly and increasingly irrelevant to everything else they do. Focus added to the point in endurance racing, gravel grinding, which is the fastest growing segment of, of racing now. Disc brakes are always going to be the best for that. That's where discs already have a foothold, and they've got they got that foothold without any world tour team racing with disc brakes. It is growing. People want to ride disc brakes. Mm-hmm. So is it time, Fatty, to get rid of that rule that kind of guides manufacturers, rule 1.3.007, which requires that all bikes used in competition be commercially available to retail customers. In other words, manufacturers are under the gun to put these bikes out that, that, that we see on television. Is that a silly rule now? Do we even care? Do we need to have the bike that the pro rides on the on the showroom floor? You know, if, if pro cycling wants to remain relevant in terms of affecting uh, what consumers ride, then yes, that rule has to go. I can't think of very many other sports where R&D for the pro lags significantly behind what the consumers use. But it's been consistently like that in cycling. And this is sort of a, a quantum leap above that, where they are going to be riding on bikes that the rest of us, you know, people who are casual riders wouldn't even necessarily consider. If if they don't move to something that feels modern, then yeah, peop, uh, what what the pros ride is going to seem really I don't know, silly to those of us who uh, who like to have the best in what's available or even yeah. what's good. I, I like what Scott had to say, which is look it's important to be in the pro peloton. It helps elevate your brand. It's kind of like in golf. I mean, I used to follow golf quite a bit, and they're kind of in the same equipment situation. You've got what the pros play in golf, and that equipment is is designed and and made for a high-caliber player. But what the companies do is they put a, a logo on a golf bag, a logo on a hat, a logo on a shirt, and they let those guys walk around with that. But the majority of the equipment they build and focus on and market is the equipment made for the 18 handicapper. And that's a much different club and a much different ball and a much different shaft. But they know that that's, their, that's ultimately what they're trying to do with that branding and with what they're making is get people who have a 20 handicap and spend a lot of money on golf to go ahead and buy their product. So cycling um, really is the new golf. It is. I think in this case, I think they're, they're proving it now that you know, and, and what the manufacturers are saying is that maybe this is the point in time where we start to say what the pro riders ride is really not relevant or as relevant mm-hmm. to what we sell on the showroom floor. Yes, it's important for us to be in Europe on the biggest stage showing off our brands, but that bike or those wheels or those tires really aren't relevant to the rider who's recreational or an amateur racer. They're on something different. I should point out, by the way, that when you started talking about um, golf equipment, that I briefly blanked out. I have no idea what you were even talking about. <laughs> Little game, you tee the ball up. Um, in he's, fact, I have a, I have a he's post changed coming languages. Out. Yeah, I have a post coming out on RKP that draws a whole analogy between golf and cycling. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's there. It'll be coming out pretty soon. So. Um, 
Let me play devil's advocate briefly, though, before we let the disc thing go. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah, I know. You're going to love this, Patrick. Um, have we, though, maybe given up on rim brakes a little too quickly? I mean, look, I just installed some compressionless housing on my road bike. I couldn't believe how much how much more power I had at the, at the lever with that. We have, um, Patrick, you and I saw some zip carbon wheels with a very nice looking, we didn't ride them, but it looked like an improved braking surface. Head, and it's our Dan's aluminum wheel, has a new braking surface that is getting lots of great reviews about how well it stops. We have, what, direct mount calipers now? Brake pads are always getting better. Patrick, have we given up on rim braking a little too quickly there? Is there room for improvement here? Oh, there's clearly room for improvement with caliper brakes, you know, be it, you know, direct mount or you know, some of the other stuff out there. Um, the way I see it, I mean, based on my own experience, and I say this as a guy who really did honestly argue against discs for road bikes at first, just from the standpoint of what it would do to how the bike felt, uh, you know, the flex pattern of the bike and weight. Um, you know, you get on a bike with discs, man, and it it's it's just uh, a quantum leap in improvement of brake braking performance um are there still things they need to work on yeah but i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna put huge amounts of effort into improving braking right now i see the opportunity for gains to be with disc brakes not with caliper brakes they're not going to get that much better i don't think um but i agree with you you know things like compressionless housing um and you know some of the options like direct mount um, it's really great. I mean, my new Danucci, uh, because of the tube set, couldn't be a disc brake bike. The tube set's simply too light. Um, and so we went with long reach calipers so we could still get bigger tires in there. Uh, and I'm really impressed with how great that uh, the braking is on that bike. But in terms of the way forward, uh, what product managers ought to be putting their efforts into, I, I do think it's discs. Uh, by the way, on uh, USA Cycling events, if you're an amateur racer and you're wondering how this all affects you, the UCI's reversal on the Pro Peloton, it really doesn't. USAC has put out a statement clarifying that basically that you've always been able to use disc brakes in their amateur races, with a few exceptions. Disc brakes are will not be allowed at top-level pro USAC events that are regulated by the UCI. That means if you're an amateur or club team that wants to ride like the Tour of Gila and compete in the pro category with disc brakes, you're out of luck. The UCI regulates that specific category in the Tour of Gila, so no one taking part in UCI events at Gila can currently race disc brakes. Masters, on the other hand, and the other elite racers at Gila could use disc brakes. Redlands and the rest of the Pro Tour road racers allow disc brakes for now, but USAC says it's taking a look at the safety issues involved and could have a ruling any day now. A change in policy, if there was one, could be implemented first at the upcoming Road Nationals in May. Um, Speaking of USAC and uh, Nationals in North Carolina, by the way, I wanted to just point out something real quick here. Um, Nationals will be hosted in North Carolina this year and next. And we've yet to hear anything from USAC about the North Carolina bathroom law, also known as HB2. It put in place a statewide policy banning individuals from using public bathrooms that don't correspond to their biological sex at birth. 
It also stops cities from passing anti-discrimination ordinances to protect gay and transgender people. Uh, the law has faced a lot of opposition. Some people and some stars, some music, musicians have canceled events in North Carolina over the law. We're not asking here USAC to cancel road nationals in Winston-Salem, nor are we saying that they should kill plans for that training center in the same town, but at least release a statement saying you, sh- you would like to see more tolerance from the state where it would like to continue to stage races and tell everyone in, the, in that statement how USAC continues to support people of all walks of life. USAC is not the only sports organization facing this dilemma. The NBA has an all-star game in North Carolina next year. The NFL has meetings scheduled in the state. And the NCAA will stage part of March Madness in basketball crazy North Carolina in 2017. We're just saying to USAC, hey, look, just speak up. Use your voice. It's an important one and an influential one in cases like this. Okay, Uh, back to some fun stuff. (laughs) Some us stuff. Fatty has a list of words coming up he'd like to share, and they could make us a little safer. That's next on The Pace Line. The people of North Carolina, Mississippi are wonderful people. They are hospitable people. They are beautiful states, and you are welcome, and you should come and enjoy yourself. And I think you'll be treated with extraordinary hospitality. I also think that the laws that have been passed there are wrong. The Pace Line is back. Fatty, Patrick Brady, and Michael Houghton here. Uh, Chattanooga police guys have a new device to help drivers and cyclists share the road. You know, the three-foot law. A little hard to enforce, maybe, huh? Uh, this device measures the distance between a car and a bicycle. Hmm. The department, Chattanooga PD, used a uh, National Bike to Work Day to show off this new technology. CPD teamed up with an engineer in Texas to create a device that measures the distance between a vehicle and a cyclist using radar. The signal bounces off a vehicle, then goes back to a cop on a bike and gives a distance in inches of how far away the motorist was when they passed. So maybe some inroads here to enforcing this law. We have one in California too, this three-foot law. But I mean, I looked up how many tickets had been written in the first year with the three-foot law. And in California, the CHP at least said they'd only written nine in the first year had been implemented. Why? Well, probably because it's just like really hard to to uh, to enforce. It's pretty much they have to use uh, guesswork. Well, there was a statement. There was a statement when the the law was passed that it would only be enforced uh, in the event of an accident. So if they could show conclusively, well, the accident took place. So obviously he wasn't three feet away. That was the only time they would be writing those tickets. Yeah, but, well, that's waiting even, a little even, late, though. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, know, even nine is lower than I thought. Right. The point of the law is to prevent accidents, to prevent mishaps and brushes and that type of stuff. And to do that, you have to go out and write tickets. Well, they have to care about they, cyclists first. Eh, okay. Anyhow, so pretty cool stuff. Uh, speaking of safety, though, Fatty, you have some good old-fashioned words to help keep us out of harm's way. What, what might that be? Well, more of a proposal for a word. Uh, specifically, I think that cycling needs a safe word. And here's the reason why. First of all, I want to make sure, do we all know what a safe word is? Um, yeah, yeah. Ma- I mean, not ma- personally, but yes. <laughs> um, I, I'm a little confused at this Okay, point. so a, a, a safe word is in certain types of intimacy – 
is a word that a person who has had enough and is interested in stopping whatever is going on can say that word and they stop and the role playing ends. Okay. I think cycling needs something like that. Here's why. So last Saturday, um, there were, there was a group of us, uh, riding around the white rim, uh, near Moab in the Canyonlands, hundred miles. And the wind was incredible. Within 15 miles, we just knew it was going to be a brutally, diff- uh, brutally difficult day. Riding into an incredibly di- hard wind, it wasn't going to let up. The forecast had us uh, oh. facing 25 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 40 miles per hour in desert, in sand. We were going to get sandblasted. There was just no two ways around it. Now, by the time we got to the ranger station, the toll, there's a toll booth that you go through. Two of us, uh, my friend Ryan Thompson and I, were pretty certain that we just didn't want to do this ride. And so we had this idea of turning around and quitting. My wife, the Hammer, whose nickname does not come lightly, she said... Look, we drove all this way. And this is how many we miles started in? the ride. Let's just keep going. And Ryan and I caved. Um, yeah, for one thing, yeah. This this is 15 miles into a 100-mile ride. And we haven't be- really begun the technical or the hard part yet. But uh Ryan and I caved and uh after small argument and we kept going. And the rest of the day I thought to myself, what I need or needed was a safe word, a word that says, I'm not joking about this. I really do need to call, uh, you know, call a stop to this ride. And I think we need a safe word that we use for many situations because tell me if this has ever happened to you. Like, the weather or the terrain is getting too bad to ride. Like, seriously too bad. Like, adobe mud caking to your wheels and you've look like, and you got chocolate donuts for wheels. But someone in the group just, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, let's keep going. How do you say, no, seriously, I'm done. And they're like, no, let's keep going. Or how about this? When the forecast is calling for 30 miles per hour winds or gusting to 45 and you have someone in the ride who's like, yeah, I think we can keep going. Or how about when you really don't want to be given a pep talk about keeping going? Or when you really don't think that you can take a pull that you are that smoked? Or when you definitely do not want to hear someone say, hey, rule number five, man. <laughs> and so that's why we need a safe word. And I propose that we adopt the word blunderbuss. Because it's a fantastic word that just isn't in use anymore, right? No, no, we no, don't, no, 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 no. Not blunderbuss. How do you get that? How do you get that out when you're when you're on the rivet going blunt? I would just come out oh, blunder. You need something one syllable. Um, yeah, we need one syllable. Even if I were in the throes of passion, which I guess is where this all comes from. By the way, are you proposing any type of sexual act on a bicycle? Is that where this is going? I hope. Uh, no. No, I mean, I've had had situations where perhaps I've been a little bit too intimate with the nose of my saddle, but 
Not on purpose. Um, no, I, I well, I, I think like about childhood wrestling, and you'd say uncle. <laughs> That's really where this is coming from. Uncle, I need one syllable word. Okay, one one syllable. We all agree there needs to be a safe word. We're happy to hear ideas for what that safe word should be. Well, that's democratic. Let's let's invite the Paceline listeners. Go to redkiteprayer.com on the post for this podcast or to, to fatcyclist.com on Fatty's pages. Post a, a, a safe word, a word you would like yep. to be able to shout out and have things shut down when things get a little rough, right? I mean, that's the idea here. Heck we, yeah. We thank you in advance. Uncle. I say uncle on this right now and blunderbust. <laughs> Uh, hey guys, we're going to the garage next and check out one retro-looking yet high-tech bike computer and one of the best ever XC racers is going with a dropper post. That's next on the pace line. This is a blunderbuss. This is a 75 caliber tube that flares out to about an inch and a half. It's basically a sawed-off shotgun. It's meant to scatter a large amount of projectiles in a short distance. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, rolls on, and we head into the garage now with Fatty, Patrick, and Michael Houghton here. Uh, sea Otter, still fresh in our minds, and one of the, well, I won't say freshest, but coolest looking in a sort of Rolex P51 Mustang cockpit sort of way was a <laughs> bike computer with an analog face. It almost looks like a watch or an altimeter display in an old airplane. I spoke to a Reese Newman about the product called Omata. Have a listen to what Reese told us about his unique cycling computer. So the story of Omata goes back to, uh, I heard and read an article from a cognitive scientist, uh, Arizona State University, about in 2009. And it was, he said that um, a beautiful pace to travel through the world from a human cognition point of view is 80 miles per hour. And as a cyclist, you know, if you ask a cyclist, kind of what's a nice pace to travel through the world, you know, any road cyclist, depending on how hilly it is, will say, I don't know, 17, 18, 90 miles per hour. And originally I'm an artist and a designer. And so I just started drawing kind of funny little products that maybe would sit on your handlebars. Um, almost to celebrate that kind of spirit of riding 80 miles per hour. And as I was drawing this, this was back in 2009, just realized and at the time I was leading advanced design for Nokia. And essentially... Nokia, anyone making connected products with a display on it, starts to put more and more features in that product. And I ride for my bike for a very good reason, is to leave most of that thing behind. And so I started to look at the handlebars and start to look at the options in terms of kind of what I can put on my handlebars. And essentially there seemed to be just one choice. And it was digital as a display. And I just kind of thought, is there a way that we could build a very modern, but then a very classic product? And so analog is beautiful. You know, in aviation, in uh, sports cars, they have analog dials. So there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty in showing just what matters most. And to us, that's speed, distance, elevation and time. But then to do it without compromise. So on the outside, our product looks like a classic speedometer. And it has altimeter. And it has distance. And it has time. But then on the inside is very advanced GPS computer. So it captures all that ride data for, say, a, you know, a Garmin would or a Strava app would. But we just choose to hide it. So essentially for me, like, riding is an analog experience. Most of my bikes are about kind of reducing things down to what's just essential. And so we just saw an opportunity to design this kind of beautiful, very modern but very analog product. 
So what should people expect out of this device and what maybe would they not get if they were trying to compare it to their Garmin? Yeah, so we do, we capture all the data that a Garmin captures. So we have, and in fact, maybe a little bit better. So it's a very advanced GPS sensor. Um, so all that ride data is captured, but what we do is just show for this version just four things, as I said. So speed, distance, elevation, and time. We know there's people, and I'm one of them, at certain times of the season that maybe wants to connect it with a heart rate monitor or a power meter. We choose not to show that in this product, but in the engine on the inside, we've built in Bluetooth, AMP Plus, Bluetooth Low Energy. So in the future, you'll be able to connect with those heart rate monitors and power meters. But for us to launch a company and to begin with is just say, let's do a classic version. Um, and so we know for some people that's really important and that's an opportunity for us to maybe kind of in subsequent versions do maybe a more performance training speedometer. But we absolutely believe in the analog representation of that data. When you put, put it on the handlebars and when you ride with it, it's not just about just looking beautiful. There's something like really pleasurable and very legible while in motion and while riding with that analog display. When you come to an event like here at Sea Otter and see all this tech running around you, do you feel like you're swimming upstream, going against the grain a little bit here? Uh, not at all. I don't, you know, so I, I mean, we caught you at the Brooks, at the yeah, Brooks that's right, which yeah. is perfect for what you've got here, and you've got a steel bike. Yeah. But look around you. It's just carbon. and They're also giving away free beer. Um, no, I think this interesting. We spent, so we're not part of the bike industry. I'm not spending, I come from design and telecommunications and technology. And essentially, you know, in that world, um, they, you have two choices. You can either create products that try to fit everything in and does everything. And at the same time, there's another group which is like actually beautiful products as when you leave things out. But I think, you know, we've looked, you know, and I ride and race mountain bikes and you look at other companies around. And so like Giro is a great example, like the Giro Empire range of shoes. So when that came out, it had laces and like everybody thought, oh, it's a retro play. Are they just doing it? But actually, they spend an enormous amount of time looking you said a lot of advanced technology on that product and it's a product that like loads of people love so i think cycling itself and the cycling industry and products are inherently about kind of taking the very latest but then celebrating kind of the history and the heritage and yeah we hope we're finding that right balance to make something that's really beautiful um that's appropriate for certain bikes at certain times but then also still be very advanced so if somebody wants one, yes. uh, you did do the Kickstarter, but where can they find them? So they can um, still get them on Kickstarter. Um, it's an advanced product, so it's not cheap. We know that. Um, currently, you can pre-order them or back us on Kickstarter for $4.99. Um, if you do that, then we'll be shipping those products, all being well, in January or February next year. And then the moment the Kickstarter closes, then hopefully we'll open up a pre-order store. But essentially, the best thing you could possibly do at the moment is support us. Kind of if people believe in the product or just like or want to see it out in the world, go to Kickstarter for now. That would be a great help. And did I get the pronunciation right? Omata, you say? Oh, I say Omata. Yeah, I, a lot of people this, you know, the, today have been asking us why Omata. And it's, uh, it's very simple. It's a speedometer. But you have to say it with a British accent. Yeah, not easy to pronounce and not cheap. Um, but they do have a, actually Fabian Conchalara as an ambassador and consultant on the product. And Fabian's going to get more involved once uh, retirement comes his way. Patrick, you had a look at this device. What did you think? Oh, it's cool as hell. Uh, and it's the sort of thing <laughs> that will, you know, it'll be right at home. Kind of the perfect addition to a great steel frame. Um 
you know, I don't think it's limited to that by any means, but it's really sharp looking. And for anyone who has ever invested in a finer timepiece, uh, they're going to love this. It's it's really sharp looking and very yeah, easy. I haven't to seen this. Oh, I, I haven't seen this yet. So, uh, And I'm going to probably represent a lot of the listeners who have not seen this yet. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Does it mount like a Garmin? Does it mount on a on a quarter mount? Okay, cool. Does I, I I can picture showing the uh, your speed on a on a gauge, you know, on a rotating gauge. What does it show for how far you've gone? You know, that's that's another thing that I normally like to see, and would love to be able to see at a glance. But I can't imagine that on an easy analog gauge, unless it's like an old style car speedometer. Is that what it does? No, it won't show you like an odometer readout. You, okay. you don't get that. No, you get, so all mm. you see while you're riding is your speed. Is that it? Does it show how long you've been out, or is it think, just you see your speed period? I think he said speed altimeter, and uh, there was one other in there. So if you get three readouts in real time, the rest is recorded mm-hmm. behind the scenes, and you upload that later. Sure. Okay. It's a yeah. minimalist approach. It is. It's not. It's designed to take your face out of your computer and and look up at what's ahead of you. And the reason they went with another reason they went with analog is because if you look at like a, a sports car um, or the cockpit of a P fifty one Mustang, there was a reason they used analog gauges. In some cases, still do is because you can glance down quickly and get your readout. You don't have to stare at a small digital display. And some of those Garmin screens, you put four, you know, you use a four-screen display on one of your pages, man, it gets hard to see stuff there. With an analog display, they thought, look, you can just glance at it and see how fast you're going and then do what you're supposed to do, which is look down the road. Mm -hmm. So there's some reason, there's some cognition there behind this this retro feel. I mean, he didn't just do this just for looks. I mean, he he honestly thought this could be a better way for some folks and in some cases to get their data, to get their information. And it's it's cool right. looking. On top it, of it, it all. Yeah, I'll have to go take a look at it. I'm going to say that, you know, for myself, I do have a Garmin screen where I can set, you know, on my 520 it to show just one thing, right? You do have the option to make it show just your speed if that's what mm-hmm. you want then it's huge and I'm, I'm not trying to put this down but i mean that is a lot of money for a very non-versatile piece of equipment and, um, you know maybe i'm the guy who is the non-customer for this but I, I look at you know i think you know is there anything it can do that my 520 can't do uh, for half as much money probably not but Again, you're probably not the target audience here. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. buy I don't buy cool looking watches either. So, and that's fine. You know, different. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's cool that they that they they have an idea, and I wish them the very best of luck. It's O M A T A. That's the spelling on it. Omara Omara dot com. If you want to check it out, um, and they do have a Kickstarter program. Again, won't see any product probably till early 2017 on that. Uh, hey, he's uh, won two Olympic golds and five rainbow jerseys, all of them on a hardtail. But now, Julian Absalon, the man who's arguably the finest XC racer of all time, is not only going full suspension full-time, but he has added a dropper post to the mix. 
Julian is uh, both his uh, training and racing bikes have been seen with a dropper installed. He's now a BMC guy. He used to be Orbea. Uh, the weigh-in for his bike with dropper, 22 pounds. That's a little heavy for a man in his last year of racing, but the man he has been chasing for the last few years, Nino Schurter, he's a star in the tech section. So Julian probably looking for anything he can get his hands on or his rear off of, in this case, getting that saddle down and out of the way um, so he can try and keep up with Nino. Scherzer says instead of a dropper, he adjusts his seat height depending on course conditions. But Julian Absalon going with a dropper, pretty big move in the XC world. Fatty, are you a dropper guy or not? I have a dropper on my Ibis Tranny, uh, which is a hardtail. Mm -hmm. And I like it, but I have not gotten good on it. That said, the reason I got a dropper at all is because the tech people who are the most technical, who I respect the most, who are the very best in the tricky stuff, they have all moved to droppers and say it is just a revelation. So I, you know, with the understanding that at some point it will be natural for me to, uh, you know, put, adjust the seat post to where it ought to be in the moment where I need to kind of in the way that I, without thinking about it, shift now, or, you know, can shift to the right gear and can either lock out or turn on my front suspension the, without thinking about it. At some point, I'm going to be comfortable with it. And it sounds like it, well, it doesn't sound like the people who are using them and have used them and have gotten good at them say that they matter so much. I say, you know, it sounds like he's made that decision. And I would guess that uh, the weight expense is definitely worth the price of admission. Yeah, do you see yourself though, using one in, in your long events, your, your extreme Leadville type? you know, Frog Hollow events? Not in Leadville, no. But in Frog Hollow, absolutely. In True Grit, absolutely. Um, there are, you know, it, it is something where I would make a race-by-race race decision. Um, mm. Leadville, it, it's completely unnecessary. I can't think of a moment when I w would wish for a lower seat post. Right. Um, that said, uh, yeah, I, I bet that I see several uh, dropper posts uh, during the race, you know, because there might be people who are right now listening, thinking, well, you don't think there's a need for it because you don't understand when they're good and how good they can be. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I understand that I am pretty poorly informed on this right now and am looking forward to learning better. Okay. Uh, Giant Bicycle is working with a Bicycle Blue Book, encouraging its dealers to use the company's used bike trade-in program to drive new bike sales. Bicycle Blue Book's authorized trading program gives consumers an estimate of their used bike value from the company's website. The consumers then bring bikes to a participating store to confirm the value and get a store credit for the trade-in. The store then ships the bike to Bicycle Blue Book and receives reimbursement for the store credit value minus shipping. This gets to the point, guys, is when we buy new bikes... Fatty, I'll start with you. What do you do when you want to try to get rid of a bike? Do you have a, a method? Do you How do you assess value and how do you try and get rid of a bike? Hmm. Well, I, I, and this is going to be a, an unsolicited and not paid for plug, but I always use GearRush.com. Um, it's a company that uh, they will clean up your bike and then sell it over eBay or other methods. Um, but they are very good at pricing things out. And so they're kind of doing the same thing that you're talking about here. But um, it's a local guy, Alex Grant, also a pro, 
who just, uh, you know, it's kind of his way of making ends meet among other things. So he, it's, you know, so I, I use a service that does this because I don't want to spend my time, um, figuring that out, but I kind of like the idea of what giant's doing too. Right. And Patrick giant is one of the companies going consumer direct. Um, maybe, uh, angering some of their dealers. Do you think this might be a way to smooth things out, keep the traffic flowing into to bike stores? Do you like this idea? I, I hope so. I mean, well, anything that helps to normalize uh, used bike value uh, so that you, you don't have to have a particular additional set of knowledge to get, you know, get the real value out of your bike when you sell it. Um, you know, yeah, that's helpful. Uh you know, certainly I think eBay has done a lot to really give us a good sense of, of where value is on used stuff. And not all brands, you know, get, you know, the carry the same value uh, when you go to sell them used uh, at, you know, relative to what their original retail price was. Um, but yeah, I like the idea. I'm in. What, what's your current method of, of moving a bike? Is, are you an eBay guy? Yeah, eBay. Yeah, eBay works too. I, you know, I like to try and find a local source if I can, and I work those as much as I can because I just as soon do an in-person pickup than box something up and ship it. But eBay seems to work too. But I like this. This is this is a good idea, and uh, I think there needs to be more options for ways to move bicycles out of your garage and make room for new ones. And and maybe this bicycle blue book idea with Giant will work. Um, look, folks, if you're looking for a nice way to waste a little time on your computer. We're not opposed to that. How about some videos? We have some video suggestions this week on the Pace Line for you. And the first one is especially for you, Patrick, because it comes from Fairdale Bike, and they've produced a video on what to do with your front derailleur, which SRAM, of course, has said is on its way out. Here is their submission on how to deal with leftover front derailleurs. Now that the front derailleur has been declared dead, millions of these components are thoughtlessly being thrown into landfills. The Fairdale R&D department has created a division solely dedicated to saving and repurposing these incredibly dynamic mechanisms. We've been hard at work developing new uses for the front derailleur, like this back scratcher. Yeah, the good folks at Fairdale Bike also show how a front derailleur can be turned into a remote light switch. They actually turned a front derailleur into a rear derailleur to make a convenient two-speed bike. And, of course, they made a bottle opener out of a front mech. So that's Fairdale Bikes if you (laughs) want to check out more great uses for, Patrick, I'm sorry to say, the dying front derailleur. You need a back scratcher, Patrick? No, I need a front derailleur. (laughs) You need a front... (laughs) And another one to check out is... um, I Am Cycling's Sondre Holst Anger. I hope you're getting that name right. His victory dance video at the Tour of Croatia is one to really check out. He won the final stage and on the podium, put on the moves. This guy still had energy flowing through the legs, and he was uh, getting down on the top step at the Tour of Croatia. Good videos. Uh, Time's up now for the pace line, but before we go, let's uh, check in with Fatty. And Fatty, I am behind on my Fatty Cast episodes I have Phil Gaiman in queue, but what else should I be downloading? Oh, you know, I am going to be releasing some really good ones, including one by the It's the Nerve people who uh, have a uh, a magical tonic you can keep in your rear uh, jersey pocket. And when your legs cramp, 
uh, suck it down and the cramp just disappears. And um, spoiler alert, I've used it four times when cramping and all four times I have had my cramps disappear in like moments. So uh, a product that seems to actually work and I talk with one of the scientists about why. So should be a okay. fun episode and informative. Yes. Um, I am interested in all things cramping. I've tried to help uh, many teammates out with their cramping issues uh, as well. So, and in fact, I saw that the product uh, what last summer. I think at Leadville mm-hmm. they were they had a booth set up. Yeah, yeah, um, they're they're all over the place. Yeah, Patrick Brady, a full plate is always on uh, RedKitePrayer.com, I see. Yeah, uh, got another bike review coming up probably later this week. Uh, some other fun stuff and uh, the exploits of my adventure with uh, cardiology. Yeah, that's been uh, one to follow. I think, you know, not only if you're interested in what's happening with Patrick and his pro, but if you have, you know, an interest in health and want to know more about what hap- can happen to a cyclist uh, regarding cardiac issues, you should check out what Patrick's been posting. It's both personal but informative, I would say, uh, on that front. Um, so you can find the pace line, of course, at redkiteprayer.com. It is also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Google has just added podcasts to its music store, so we are glad to be part of their lineup. We ask that wherever you go, wherever you find us, first that you rate us. Uh, let iTunes know that you like the show, and they will treat us right in their little you know sections that they that they put up there. And of course, your comments on the show are always welcome at redkiteprayer.com or at fatcyclist.com. Love to hear what's on your mind regarding cycling and what we've talked about here on the show. And so blunderbusses. What's that? And especially about blunderbusses. A blunder, yes. And your word, <laughs> your safe word submission. We want those now. We'd love to read those back on uh, subsequent shows about what you think is an appropriate safe word. We're not talking about the SNM one. We're talking about the one when you're on the saddle and things are going a little rough. Okay, there are rules to put. This is a clean show. We I thought you just said rating. it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Fix that. Um, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> I better stop. <laughs> I'm getting out of control. Let's quit while we're behind. <laughs> yeah, and we are significantly. For Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on the Pace Line. Fire in the hole! Fire in the hole! Fire in the hole! You fire. That's how you fire a blunderbuss. <laughs>